Thank you for not turning your back on us, Lord, even when we turn our back on you. Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to come to this earth to make a way for us to know you. Lord, thank you that it's through him, Lord, we can have hope, we can find forgiveness, and we can live life in a completely different direction because of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that everyone here, Lord, would really do business with you on that decision to follow Christ, Lord. I just pray that we would surrender our ways to you. And Lord, as we've been looking at this topic of stewardship and finances, how we use our resources, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to illuminate your word and highlight the core principles, Lord, that you want to take on, want us to take away from it this morning, God. We just commit our time to you. We do pray that you would prevent anything, Lord, from distracting our ability to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been looking at finances, and um, I don't know where you're all at as far as just the stage of life you're in, and so it's hard to know how this is impacting you. I do get stories and feedback from some different people in our church. People have given me just input as far as decisions they're making. Like last week we talked about debt, and one of the guys told me today, I cut up the cards and it felt great. I cut up the cards, I paid the balance, and it felt great. And so really applying, he was applying something we looked at last week. But, um, you know, my hope is that you're not just spectating on Sundays. You know, sometimes we're tempted to come to a church and to spectate. And we see things going on up here and we're, you know, and we treat it almost like a concert and a motivational speech. And so what I would encourage is that, that you would really get involved by just, by taking things personally. When we sing, when we listen to God's Word, that you'd think and you'd be introspective. You'd think not about your neighbor, not about other people and what they need to be doing, but you think, what do I need to be doing? What am I going to be held accountable for? How do I need to deal with this? So today what I want to do is I want to start by thinking personally with a question. It's a financial satisfaction question. It's kind of like a quiz, I guess. If you take out these message notes, and at the top, I'd like you to write on a scale of 0 to 10, how satisfied are you with your finances? So if you're totally unsatisfied, dissatisfied, you're miserable about your finances, then you're going to want to put a 0. Okay, that's at the bottom. Or if it's really, really bad, you can go into the negative if you need to. It's just for you. You're not turning this in. If you're somewhere, you know, somewhat satisfied, then you might want to put a five, somewhere in the middle. And then if you are very satisfied with finances and just your, the whole financial arena for your life, you might want to put a ten, right down a ten. So don't show it to anybody. I mean, you can show it to your spouse if you choose to, but... If, if, if you're married, but, you know, don't feel like you need to show it to your neighbor and you got to, you know, be nervous about that. It's really for you. You're not turning it in. But in a recent survey in New York City, those questions were asked. People to, you know, rank your financial satisfaction. Here's the results. Only 26% were satisfied with their finances. Only 20, 26%. The, the rest, 74% were below five. You know, zero to five. They're just either completely miserable or just somewhere in that, eh, just, it's a groan that they can express through that. But the most interesting part about the study was that the discovery that four things were in common with that group of 26% who was actually satisfied. The people that have the 6 through 10, there was these four common factors. One is they had no consumer debt. They were, at, they were out of debt. 
which is what we talked about last week. Secondly, they were all living on less than they made, which is kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, contentment. may not be the 10, 10, 80 plan, like give 10%, 10, 10% save and spend out of 80%. It may not be that, but it's certainly not 110. They didn't have this larger where they were borrowing. Another, another thing in common, they had six months or more worth of money saved somewhere, some sort of a contingency, emergency. And then last, they had an investment plan for the future. So what they were doing is they were actually working kind of the plan that we've been looking at. Some of the things that God says are really important, whether or not those people know God, walk with God, have yielded their lives to Him, they're experiencing the benefits of, of doing some of the things that God has said, here's how you want to do finances and stewardship. God's ways actually... The, the world picks them up and they, this is a good, this is a good thing. I'm going to write a book about this. And someone goes and makes millions of dollars off of God's ideas that actually work. And so people are actually experiencing some of the blessings of what God has laid out. They just don't know where it's coming from. They've, they've tapped into some truths about this area. And this is what God says, 26%, you know, or he's basically saying this, I'm not giving you money so that 74% of you, or whatever it is, 76%, can be miserable. He doesn't want us to be like those miserable people. He intends these resources that he's provided to be a blessing. It's our decision to ignore God as chief financial officer and allow him to set the direction or install ourselves, it's our decision to set ourselves up at the top and just begin to call the shots and do things our way, work our plan. It's our decision. We've looked at debt, contentment. Today we're looking at savings. And I'd encourage you, wherever you're at, I'd encourage you to start thinking about, what is my savings plan? Do I have one at all? Look at this verse. We're going to look at why in just a minute. But here's a verse from Proverbs 21. It says, In the house of the wise are stores, or the word is treasury, the Old Testament word, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. The word choice, it really means desirable. It's not like the wise people have all this rotten food that they forgot to eat and it's molding and it's, or it's just cheap. It's, he's saying in the house of the wise are this treasury of desirable food and oil. They stored it up. And a foolish man, or but a foolish man devours all that he has. This is the mark of the wise, the mark of the fool. The foolish man, he consumes, he swallows it all. You know, money comes in and it all goes out. There's nothing saved up. No resources. It's all, it's all gone. The wise are known for planning ahead. They're known for saving and preparing for the future. The wise person, according to God, he saves. What does that say, you think, about Americans? Because the average American saves 1% of our income. The average American saves 1% of our income. In the Netherlands, the average Netherlander is that a term? Dutch? 7%. The French, the average in, in France is 12%. In China, the average Chinese person saves 22%. I was looking for the stats because I'd read that the Taliban, they save more than anyone else. Because they're, you know, they're positioning themselves to take over the world, and so they're storing up. But Americans, we only save 1%. 1% of our income. Why do we save so little? Why do you think? There's a question. You can answer if you'd like. We have no idea. And that is part of the problem. We're done. No. 
Why do we say so little? I think it's because... What was the... Consumerism, yeah, consumerism. We, we worship at the altar of our lifestyle. Supporting our lifestyle. We're buying, we're so busy buying all this stuff that is imported from other countries that save well. We're buying all this stuff. We expect to have everything. We deserve it now. There's nothing really left to save. And God has one word for that. It's foolish. That's the word. He says, it's foolish not to save. Why is it foolish? The truth is because we all know the future is coming. Everyone knows the future is coming. We just don't know what it will bring. And we are told not to fear the future, but we are encouraged to prepare for the future. And so what I want to do is look at quickly, why should I save? First off, winter is coming. This is what we're told in Scripture. We need to save because winter is coming. Last week, this, this Proverbs 6, we looked at debt. We looked at five verses that related to getting out of debt, which was, I'd encourage you to, to check that out. It's on our website. But then the very next verse, he says, after you're out of debt, then he says, verse 6 says, go to the ant. He points us to a creation that, you know, one of God's creations, this little insect, the ant, the bug. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. He's calling the ant wise in their approach. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. See, the lie of consumer debt is to get you to think of only one time frame monthly. That's the lie. They want us to think in terms of just once a month. I need to think in terms of monthly, but only a fool thinks that way. Only a fool thinks that the way things are this month is going to be the same next month and the month after. Even the ants know better than that. No one tells the ants that winter's coming. We see cartoons about ants. I've seen cartoons with ants with megaphones. and They're marching and they're all whistling and they're doing their work. But for some reason, somehow, ants instinctually know to store up food for winter. While it's summertime, while it's harvest time, they're busy. They're getting after it. They're storing up for times when they're not going to have the ability to go do that. Winter for us is the time, it's the time in life whenever resources just dry up. Winter is whenever your resources dry up. It's the season we need to prepare for. We don't know when it hits. If you were to look at the stock market, just a graph of the stock market over the last 50 years, every time where you see this rising that summer and then drops or the spike downward, at those points, you know, there's winter. We don't know when winter comes, but winter, it comes. Some people, if you, if you, you know, are maybe 50 years and older, you've seen some, some of these trends. You've seen summer, everyone's thinking it's going to be summer forever, and then winter comes. Some of us younger people, well, I'll include myself in that, you know, we, we haven't really lived long enough to see these seasons and so it's hard for us depending on where we're at it's hard for us to really think in terms of summer and winter and planning and future and all this stuff because we just know here and now money's in my bank account maybe but winter always comes winter always comes sometimes if we live long enough there's seasons of our life when we can't work any longer sometimes it's because we're too old to work you hit a point where you're just physically incapable of working anymore well winter is now there and if you have not stored up in, in these earlier seasons of life, you're not prepared for winter. Sometimes you get hurt and winter arrives. And you're used to living a certain way and that portion of disability or whatever to support you, 
It's just not enough if you haven't stored up. It's wise to think in terms of winter. Winter is coming. While we are making money, we need to be thinking about saving for when we can't make money. So that's the first reason why we need to save. The second reason is opportunity. Opportunity is coming. All of us are presented with opportunities all the time to invest resources wisely. Sometimes it's the opportunity to help someone in need. Sometimes it's an opportunity to buy something at a discount. Just this great deal. And if you have the money, the opportunity is right. Some of you have been able to do that. Maybe it's a purchase, a house, a, you know, there's just certain a business. You're able to do some things. The opportunity was there. You had the ability because you had resources to work with to be able to invest in something. Or maybe it's the opportunity to give to something important. You hear about something and you're like, man, I want to give to this. If you're a parent, one of your greatest opportunities is to give and to be generous to bless your kids, both now and when you're not around. I want to be able to do both. I want to be able to bless my kids and be generous with them while I'm alive. I don't want just to, you know, store up everything to where they're, you know, I want to be able to be a blessing to them now and when I'm gone, I want them to, I want to be able to be generous. Look at Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. This is the mark of a good man. He's, he's planning ahead. He's thinking about the next generation. Now, it's not saying you want to endow your kids' future. It's not saying you want to hedge their future from all concern so they don't ever have to worry or pick up a finger. They, they just daddy warbucks, laid all this money on them. They don't have to do anything. I mean, as much as we think that would be nice, that doesn't really help. And so parents, they know, I'm not trying to endow them, but I, I want to be a blessing. There will be opportunities long before you are gone that will require cash. And it will be helpful if you have some cash. And some of you, depending on your stage, you might be like, you know, right now, I'm just, we just got married. I'm not thinking. Kids is just down the road. Some of you are like, I, I'm not married. I'm dating. And we're definitely not thinking about kids. We shouldn't be thinking about that anyway right now. And, you know, but there's all these things. But wherever you're at, the idea here is, don't, don't just dismiss this idea of your children's future. Just begin thinking about it now. Some people actually do this before, they're, before it's on the radar. It's just part of their plan. In college, I'm going to set some money aside for my kids. Now, who, who thinks like that? Probably a small, small percentage of people. But I, as, a, as a dad, with my three kids, I want to be able to help them at key points to get them started on some the right path. I'd like them to not have always have a car payment all their life. And if at a certain point I can help that, I can help them get started down that no payment car path, then you know it's something I can I can be generous with. But it's going to require savings. It's it's not just automatically. I'm not going to take out a debt and say here you go. For them, I, I want to I want to model good stewardship for for them with those opportunities. Really quickly. I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago, 10 years plus, bad with dates, but years ago, I have a friend who's a minister at University of Southern California, and he he's in ministry full-time. He's a career minister. He's called a campus minister. And it's different from a pastor because a pastor is supported by their church. They're supported by the resources of their church. The staff is supported by the church. The church affairs are supported by the church collectively. 
But people who do ministry outside the church, they, you know, there are people who give their full-time focus to, to serving and helping people come to know Christ. So my friend Neil, he serves with his wife at University of Southern California, has done that for probably over 20 years now. And in that course of time, he's been raising his support, full-time support, every year. He has to raise support, visits his support people and families, friends, church family and friends and other family and friends. I don't know how all the money gets pooled, but enough for him and they had four kids. Well, ten years ago, his wife was away on a mission trip, I think in China, and while he was gone, Neil was contacted by his landlord. And the landlord told him, um, I better get this right because one of his sons actually is here. So if I get it wrong, I might get, no, that's not how it went. But Neil got called and the landlord said, hey, we need to sell the house. You're free to buy the house. If you can buy the house, we'd like for you to buy the house. If not, you're going to need to move out. Now, his wife's in China. And they lived in this house, great house for ministry, spacious house, perfect for Bible studies, meetings, all these things that they do as campus ministers. And again, campus ministers are serving to lead students to Jesus Christ on a secular, he is on a secular college campus. The resources are not in abundant supply amongst the students that he's trying to reach. The resources are coming from the outside. And so he didn't have all this money to be able to purchase that house when the landlord said, hey, you either need to buy it or, or you're going to need to move out because we're going to sell it. Well, our pastor, my pastor at the time, he brought that need to the congregation. He just said, you know, Neil is pouring his life out to see Jesus proclaimed on this campus. And he said, I want to help him. And if you can help him, would you consider giving? And he challenged people. He challenged family. He says, if you could give, we, we want to raise, I think he said, we need to raise $80,000. This is a church of about 150 people at the time. And he said, in about a week. And he's like, it sounds ridiculous, but this is what I'm proposing. So he pitches this to everyone, and everyone's just like, oh my gosh. Well, within a week, $110,000 from different sources, not just in our church, but the word got out, money came in so that he was able to have enough down and then be able to get into a smaller term loan so he wasn't going to be in a loan for 30 years and so god provided this was an opportunity opportunities come up and we're not given prior warning we don't know when those when those times will be as the church there's going to be seasons where we're going to have opportunities and god's going to say it's time to act and we have a week to act and we see that the appropriate opportunity comes and the only way we can respond is through storing up in seasons of of Summer of harvest. We store up for seasons like that when those opportunities come. And, you know, it was, a, it was an exciting thing to be a part of, to experience and to see God come through as we responded as a family and other families responded to give to be a part of that. But those opportunities, again, that we're not warned about them. The third reason we need to save is eternity. It's coming. Eternity is coming. This does not mean save for your funeral. What this means is make sure you're saving for the right reasons. Make sure that you're saving with, with your savings plan. Don't just think about yourself. Look at Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells a story about a man who had a really good year. He tells this story. He says, this is this guy. He's, got, he's had a really good year. And rather than consuming it all, he did the wise thing. And he built barns to store the extra so that he could be set for life and just enjoy. And so he, it, it looks from the surface that he's being wise. He builds a barn, stores up all the stuff. He's like, 
man, I'm just storing up for the future. He builds this big barn. The problem is he didn't look far enough out into the future. Death made all of his savings pointless. He died. So look at what this is a story. And Jesus says that the man said to himself, he's talking to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, he's focused on himself. He's stored up for himself. And then Jesus says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This man was not a fool because he was rich or because he was productive or because he had extra. He was a fool because he was not rich towards God. And he thought his savings was to be spent on himself. Jesus is saying, it's not just about you. This is the American view of savings right here. This is the American view of savings. It can also be the Christian view of savings. I save now. I I get focused on saving right now so that in the future I can retire and eat, drink, and be merry and get an RV. And, I mean, I want an RV. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm beach camping right now walking by these people with these great RVs, and they look clean and showered and well-fed, and we're roasting on, you know, coals. and Anyway. But, but the reason we save is so that we can be in a position to use our money and our free time down the road to make an eternal impact. Joining God in things much bigger than just ourselves and our family. Retirement is not just about self-fulfillment. This, you know, down the road period where we just get to live it up. It's not that. If you do not peel off and do your own thing, but if you actually walk with God seriously, like I'm saying, if you take God seriously for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and you hit that point where you don't need to work anymore, if you've been that serious about walking with God and learning from Him, you're going to have so much wisdom to be able to pass on to the next generation. That's a gift that, that is just... That's a treasure beyond money to be able to pass wisdom on to people. If you've taken life seriously, God wants so much more for us down the road when we're in a position to give back. And, and if we've made our savings all about, I'm going to hit a point where I'm going to work my plan and coast, and you're going to miss the opportunity that God, you might have $2 million in the bank and live it for yourself, and it will have been a big waste. See, the opportunity is coming to do something that, that lasts far beyond just you being here and me being here. A couple that makes $55,000 a year at the age of 25, let's say combined income, they never get a raise. Together they're making $55,000. This might be some of you. You make $55,000, you never get a raise for 40 years. And you just, if over the next 40 years, from age 25 to age 65, if you just work a plan of 10% giving, 10% saving, and living off of the 80% that's left over. Over 40 years, you will have given $220,000 over the course of your lifetime, investing in ministry, in missions, investing in things that God is doing. And then at the end of your life, if you've saved that 10%, because of compounding interest, you're going to have a couple million dollars. But more than that, you're going to have years, again, of faithful stewardship. You'll be, able to, you'll be able to give so much more than just resources. But you can be generous at that point. Far beyond what you were able to do years before. If you flip it over, there's just three 
reasons. How can I save? What do I do? How do I get this stuff going? First, order your priorities. What's God's order of priority? We've kind of looked at this. There's three things you can use your money for, right? You can give it, you can save it, you can spend it. And his order is give, save, spend out of what's left over. But if you're in financial trouble, then your natural inclination will be to save first and then give what you can. But God's priority is flipped backwards. The problem with that plan is that it's like putting money in a purse with holes in it. We looked at this verse, but look at it again. It says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He was trying to lead God's people to rebuild God's temple. They were focused on building their own homes because they'd been kicked out of their land. Now they're able to come back to the land. They're able to come back to Judah and they're, they're able to focus on rebuilding their lives there. And the priority for God was get the temple rebuilt. Well, instead, they were kind of intimidated by some neighboring people who were making fun of them for rebuilding this temple in shambles. And so they gave into the intimidation. They started focusing on building on building their own lives. They're building their houses. They're planting and they're growing their crops. And, and the prophet says, he says to them, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? He's like, you're living it up. You're in your comfortable paneled houses while this house, he's talking about the, the temple. He's saying this house remains a ruin. It's still it's not rebuilt. It's not where it ought to be. They'd mixed up their priorities. And now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He's saying, consider what you're doing. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. He's saying, if this plan isn't working for you. You eat, but you never have enough. God was frustrating their progress and their ability to make progress. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So you're not making any progress, he's saying. Have you ever noticed how your plans keep getting frustrated? If so, do you have any idea why? This, for many people, is why. The priorities get flipped around. We focus on ourselves ahead of God, and then our plans get frustrated. It just never, there's never enough to do what God wants, what, what even, even the things we want. Whenever we back burner God's plan, our plan comes with holes. It's just got holes that, that we can't plug. And I'm, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying give and you're going to get a new car. And some would say that. And I'm not saying give and your daughter's retainer will never get broken or lost. If you just give. You know, all your worries, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. If we run on our plan and not God's plan, it's going to be a long, hard journey. You can count on it. It will be a long, hard journey. God will frustrate when we confuse priorities or ignore Him altogether. And God's not concerned. God is very concerned with my heart as I give and as I respond to Him. As I, as I hold loosely the resources He's entrusted and say, God, here's your portion. Here's the portion I'm storing up. Here's what we need to spend. And I'm going to have to be content to work this plan. I'm, Lord, help me. But He's after a heart. He wants to shape our heart. So once He's got our heart then he can reorder all this 80% lifestyle stuff. He can show us what we really need, what we really need to put on hold. God's able to do that once he's got our heart. But it's the priority. Then second thing is know your money. This is a, this is a big part of savings is know your money. Know how much you have. Know how much is going out. Know where it's all going. Look at Proverbs 27. Kind of a funny verse. Be sure. Imagine you're a farmer and you don't have dollar bills and coins and bank accounts. 
Your money is all your livestock. It's all the cattle. He says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generation. What he's saying is money behaves just like cows and sheep. You turn your head on them, and they'll wander off. Take a look at this photo. That's why ranchers, they count the herd to see if, if one is missing. Back in the old days, before microchips and stuff, they'd count their cattle to make sure that none are missing. Because that's their, that's their resource, that's their future, that's their livelihood. It's all wrapped up in their, in their herd. Nowadays, they microchip cattle so they can just tell to scan them through. Yep, everything's accounted for. But they know how many are there. And we, if you don't know where every dollar went this past month, it's very likely that some of them kind of wandered off. Dollars just kind of wandered off. You might be thinking that savings is not possible, but when you look closely at the hundreds of dollars that maybe wandered off in your life, just think if you'd saved some of that money over the course of the month. Just think of how that begins to build. Money is not like air. We don't just breathe it in, like it just comes in and out. We have to know our money. We have to know where it's going. You can use tracking, you can use tracking software, quick and all sorts of things, but just know your money. The last thing is this. Make progress incrementally. It's a big part of understanding savings. Incremental progress is God's way. Proverbs 13.11, as opposed to this, dishonest money. That's one way to try to get rich is, or to get money, is be it, do it dishonestly. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. It's not that exciting to gather money little by little. It's kind of boring and takes a long time. and You watch it grow and takes a long time and it's we all want that you know the guy to come knocking on our door like Ed McMahon I don't think he's around anymore actually so it couldn't happen but you know someone comes you've won this you know or this opportunity comes up and we you know we're told if you just invest this much money you're going to get rich but we find out dishonest money dwindles away the only thing more elusive than untracked money is dishonest money. But if you grow money little by little, it, it, that's, that's how you build it. Almost every time you find a way to get rich quick, in the end you end up losing, not gaining. There's very few, you know, some people are able to just build wealth with high-risk strategies, but they have a tremendous amount of resource so that if their plan fails, everything is not there. But for the most part, most of us, can't do that. We need to build little by little. The good news is this. We can all make progress monthly. Look at these last few suggestions. Here's a few practical suggestions. One is cut spending to get on the 10-10-80 plan. I keep bringing this up because it's so important. And in order to make a plan like this work, you have to take that 80% or whatever is left over and you've got to figure out, okay, how do we make this work? And you have to establish your giving and your savings. Otherwise, the lifestyle will crowd that out. Secondly, Save an emergency fund. Emergency doesn't mean like a trip to Hawaii. All of a sudden, an emergency state has come up. And it's an emergency. They, rates have dropped to an emergency status. So then we tap into our emergency fund. The idea here is things that are true emergencies, health, you know, the only car that's left, 
and the bike is not working and the job is in Santa Ana. That's a true emergency. Some people, their cars break down and they, they, they get on a bus. They, they save and they fix the car. They bike to work if it's possible. I mean, it may, if it's a true emergency, then you, you, tie in, you tap into your emergency fund. But if you don't have an emergency fund, then your lifestyle is going gonna, gonna to threaten your plan all the time. Your plan becomes vulnerable. Snowball your consumer debt, meaning start with the smallest debt. This is from Dave Ramsey. He talks about the importance of snowballing, meaning if you owe all this money to several different people, take the smallest balance and pay the minimums on everything except focus on the smallest balance until that one's paid off. Once it's paid off, let's say it's $500 debt, you pay that off now, now you get the $750 debt and you put the money you were putting here and you, you put as much as you can at this 750 Every time you pay one off, there's a sense of, I'm making progress. This feels great. If, you're, if you've got 20 people you owe money to, and you're trying to equally pay them off through a minimum monthly payment plan, you're never going to get there. Never. Talk to a couple after last service. They had $86,000 they were in debt, and they said, we went and talked to a Christian credit counselor, and the Lord... Through, just, he got us out. It took us seven years to focus on dealing with these things. And he said, if we hadn't have went that route, we would have never been out of that debt. There's no way we could have done it in our lifetime. They were older, and he just said, we wanted to be debt-free. But within seven years, they, they, they dealt with it. So, But snowball it. Go back and think about the last time you paid something off. I'm sure it felt great. Now, now apply that and begin to tackle things. Invest for future goals. Like, think about, what do I need to be planning for right now? What do I really want to what do I really want to do? What do I really want to be able to support? The last thing is automate what you can. I would specifically encourage you to consider automating your savings and automate your giving. Because, like, things like automating your savings is just really smart. An automatic deposit that just automatically every month when you get paid, certain percentage, you decide, goes into your savings. That way you don't have to make this emotional decision every single month. You've already made up your mind. I'm going to save some money. But if, if you don't automate it, then every time you see all that money in your bank account, you're just like, I don't want to give to the future. I don't. There's just You have to make an emotional decision every single month rather than just making it once and deciding this is what I'm going to save. The same with giving. If you want, you can automate your giving to our church here. There's a brochure on the back. 25% of... The people that, that give at our church give through automated ways. So I encourage you to check that out because, again, if you don't automate certain things, then that prevents your lifestyle from crowding these other areas out. Or just some people automate because they're for, forgetful. We have people that say, you know what, I've, I've forgotten to give for a long time and I'm just, I feel really guilty about this. Again, automating for a lot of people would just help them with that whole area. The band's going to come up here and, and lead us. But if you take this white card out, and on the back you'll see there's a couple of next steps. Memorize Proverbs 21.20, which is the idea of, in the wise, there's a store of choice food and oil. It's kind of like something, to, just a verse to remember. Just God says, wise people save. Another step you might consider taking is start using a tracking system for my money. Quick in. Just most bank account or most bank online software will tell you where your money has gone. And so you can have them run reports on that as well. 
The last thing is automate my savings and or giving. <clears throat> Just, you know, thinking through, what, what is it, God, you want me to do at this point? So, um, in just a moment, our ushers are going to receive our offering. And when they do, if you'd place the connection card in there as well, so we know you were here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you're a very, very gracious God. Lord, you're very compassionate, Lord. You're slow to anger. Lord, you're patient with us as we wrestle with things. But Lord, we're also accountable, Lord, and, and many many here are just suffering through financial choices that they made in haste or carelessly or just maybe a matter of mixed priorities, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would remind them that you're a compassionate God. You love them. God, that you'd, you'd help them to think through what is it you want in their situation. Lord, I know we're all very different. We all have very different situations. And so, God, I pray that you would just, um, just help us develop a plan, Lord. Help us not to just be careless and not care about this area because, God, you, you really have designed us to be stewards, to be managers of these resources. So thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would all be right before you in the way that we give back to you, Lord, in the way that we store up for the future, Lord. Help us to to not put that off, Lord. We love you, God. We ask you for the strength and the courage to work these plans, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and receive our